Hey, it's Kathy. I just want to let you know that I'm doing a free five-day workshop. It's called the Abundance Activation Challenge, and it starts today. And it's not too late for you to join us. Today is the last day to join. Go to kathyheller.com slash five-day to sign up. The pre-party has been happening, and it's been such a blast. There's so many high-vibe women in there who are ready to call in more abundance. I know that you will love that you showed up for this. I'll be live at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern every day this week, teaching you how to become a master manifester. You are just going to have the best time. If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day. Stop pretending. Being real, the person who God made you, be that person. And that is the best gift that you can give to your family, to your friends, and to the world. The real you. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. We have such a beautiful episode today. This woman, Ann Byler, she is extraordinary. You've probably heard of Auntie Anne's. It's a pretzel shop. It's a franchise, but her story really just blew me away. I wasn't expecting to hear this depth and this heartbreak and tragedy and inspiration. I really can't wait to share this with you because it's really powerful. Before we dive in, I just want to let you know, if you've ever been curious about starting a podcast, we have a free checklist for you. You can go to kathyheller.com slash checklist, and this is going to help you know, just in case you want to start, like what do you need in order to get started? And I think you'll find it helpful. So anyway, today's episode, so good. Ann Byler, she grew this business, Auntie Ann's. It started at a little farmer's market, just a little stand in a little farmer's market. It grew to over 900 locations. She did this with no formal education, no business plan. And the most astounding part about her is everything she went through before the business came to life and how she was able to be with that and continue to keep going. You're going to hear all about it in this episode. You wouldn't believe the strength that she has and what she was able to summon within her to overcome this tragedy and the trauma. It's just really beyond her courage is really amazing. She spends her time these days focusing on helping other leaders and speaking, and she has books like Twist of Faith, The Secret Lies Within, and Overcome and Lead. She's a force. She has such beautiful wisdom inside of her. I love her passion. It's really one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. Without further ado, please welcome Ann Byler. So Anne, thank you so much for coming in. I have three daughters, and that leads me to say that whenever we pass your little shop. We definitely go in. <laughs> Quite familiar, but you've been doing so much. Not only did you create this truly this like empire, but you've written books and you've been teaching leaders and entrepreneurs and helping people find their purpose and passion. And that's really exciting. But I think before we get into that stuff, which I do want to get into, I think it'll be really fun to hear the story of how you created your company. Well, so first of all, thank you so much for the invite to be on your show. And it's always an honor for me to share our story because I've always said, if uh, I can't tell my story, you will never know how big God has been in my life. So uh-huh. I will try to, to keep my personal, the, that part of the story is, you know, short as possible, but it really is important because there was a point in my life when I, I thought life was over for me. When I say I thought life was over for me, I felt like my option was either take my life or tell my secret. I know that may sound strange to some people, but that's how desperate my life was. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I grew up in the Amish culture and from the old order Amish horse and buggy. My mom and dad were old order Amish until I was about three. And there are eight of us kids. And so we lived on a farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. At the age of around three, mom and dad went to another old, it was a black car Amish church. So my whole growing up years, culturally was in the Amish community. And, you know, to church every Sunday, love God, they taught us the Bible and very faith-based and very part of it in every denomination. You have the religious part of it, you know, and the rules, uh, keeping all of the rules and making sure you're doing it all just right. And sometimes I feel like in my culture, it's almost a shame-based. It's easy to feel bad or guilty or ashamed. As I look back on that, Kathy, it's almost idyllic. 
even today, people are very intrigued and interested in the Amish culture. Sure. And, and they look at that and they see the beauty and the simplicity. And, you know, it's all about family, community, and faith. And so what can be wrong about that? And really, I grew up in, in a very safe environment, uh, very secure. So, but I felt like life is good and God is harsh. And the mm-hmm. reason I believe that is that we're taught to keep the Ten Commandments. And I really wanted to be a good girl. I wanted to please my parents and I wanted to please God. And I really set out in life to be a good girl and one day hopefully be a good wife and a good mom. That was my dream. So it's bad theology to think that life is good and God is harsh. That's what I know now. But I really felt like if I did anything bad or, you know, got off the track or whatever it might be that I would displease God. And I don't know, would he cut me off? I don't know. So what I know today, over seven decades of real life's experiences, I know that life is hard and God is good. And I'm not confused about that anymore. So today I can look at, you know, bad things that may happen to us. And I realize that life is hard, but God is good no matter what comes my way. Mm. And I feel I can live with that. That's really the truth about who God is. His grace is greater than anything that we may ever experience, his joy, his yeah. peace, his love. But we get confused about that in our pain. Yeah. So anyway, I want to move up a little bit in my life. And Jonas and I got married. And when I was 19, he was 21. And he comes from an Amish background as well. Our dream was to have a family just like our parents did and just enjoy life and serve God and serve our church and serve our community. And we were living our dream. And we never, I had never really experienced a trauma in my life except once when Jonas's brother, Sonny, was killed instantly on a motorcycle wreck. Uh, Jonas left the Amish as well, obviously, and I did too. So when we got married, we got married in the very conservative Mennonite church. But during that time, his brother was killed. So that was a very difficult time for Mm. him and for me as well. And it was the first time I experienced anything that really hurt my heart and the emotional pain of all that and the spiritual. I wasn't spiritually confused about that because I don't know. At that time, I just believed, you know, God's in control and, you know, surrender whatever it is that happens to you to God. And that seemed to be easier for me to do at that time in my life. But Jonas and I were married and we had two little girls and we were youth pastors in a very thriving, a brand new church that we were building. And it was a very exciting time. We had, God had taken us to another level spiritually and kind of felt like we were out of the bondage of the Amish rules and regulations. And we found a freedom in Christ that was real and a living relationship with him that just really set us on a path that we felt like, wow, we could probably win the world for Christ. We were just on such a great place, on such a great level spiritually. So we had no idea that life was going to happen. And we had two daughters at that time and one of four and our sweet little Angela was 19 months old and 12 days. And we lived next to my mom and dad. Uh, on a farm out in the country, and we lived in a double white trailer on their property. And so we were always back and forth. And Angie would always go up to my mom's house for another breakfast, or they were always just around the farm there, the, the girls. And so one particular morning, as Angie made her little walk to grandma's house, my sister, who was driving a bobcat, which is a farm uh, equipment, and uh, she was loading and unloading sand. And she was always very careful about looking out for the girls and she looked back to see if anybody was there and she didn't see anyone so backed up or the tractor and then when she went to move it forward she had run over our 19 month old daughter Angela obviously you know, she was killed instantly you know my sister went through trauma like I'd never seen anyone like that I had no experience with trauma so obviously that whole experience changed my life, our lives, but I didn't understand trauma and tragedy and trauma. And back in this was uh, 45 years ago. So it wasn't a matter of going to a, a grief group or picking up a book about how to deal with trauma and tragedy. I'm sure they were out there, but I was in a very close knit community and, you know, we just kept going to church and kept mm-hmm. trying to breathe and just live life. And my prayer was, which it sounds silly to me now, but it was, I just want to go back to life the way it was. 
and I don't know why I thought that I could, you know, just as if nothing happened, right? So the day Angie was killed, she made her ascend into evidence, and there was some comfort there. I knew she was with Jesus, you know, but the grief and the longing and the despair and the, I had no words to even talk about how I was feeling, key word being their feeling. And um, the day she made her ascent, I began my very slow and gradual descent into a world of spiritual confusion and emotional pain. And my husband and I, who'd been, we'd been very close and had a great marriage and would never have dreamed that that anything would ever separate us or that anything could come between us. But as we both grieved deeply, we found ourselves in a silent relationship. I would grieve by myself, and he would go off and grieve by himself because we didn't know how else to do it, right? And so we would talk about Angie, but we would never be able to talk about how we felt. You know, like I I would never have told him how I'm feeling because I wouldn't have been able to describe that. I know it, it sounds strange, but I'm just sharing my story because, you know, I think that many people, when tragedy and trauma strikes deeply, you really don't know what to do or what to say. And so I think it's still a problem. Like we still find ourselves, what do I do? So we do things like we maybe do drugs or alcohol, or we do something to take the pain away or to lessen it or soften it. And I guess for us, it was we keep going to church and we keep praying and we keep reading the Bible and we keep asking God to help us. And that's what we did. It sustained us, thank God. But as time went on, after maybe two, three months, I couldn't bear the aloneness that I was feeling. You know, there's a, there's a difference between loneliness and solitude. Loneliness is a terrible place to be. Uh, solitude, you can actually find peace if you're in, in solitude. So it just got harder and harder. And so I decided to go see my, actually my pastor went and um, he asked me to come see him in his office. And I was like, wow, sure. Nobody asked me to talk before. So I went to his office and before I left his office, he took advantage of me physically. And, um, and I, I had no idea truly what happened. I blamed myself. I, I walked out of his office. And I'm like, I didn't know, honestly. I was very naive, but I didn't know. But one thing I did that day when I walked out of his office, I promised myself that I would never tell anyone what he just did because I knew that nobody would believe me because he was a loved kind of a pastor. And so I decided, I made a choice to keep it secret. And what I know today is that the choice I make today is the life that I will live tomorrow. Every choice that we make creates our tomorrows. But I didn't know that at that time. I thought that keeping it secret was the only way for me to walk through that. And I didn't have a choice. I didn't think as far as telling anyone. So I kept it a secret. What I didn't realize then is that that one choice would keep me in in the world. It took me into the dark world. It was the first time in my life I ever kept a secret. I mean, I've always lived my life openly, honestly, and transparent. Why not? I didn't know any other way. And so that really changed everything. Took me into the dark world into the world of evil. And I know today that, you know, when you walk into that, you don't mean to walk into that world. Most times we don't go there purposeful. I'm going to go into the dark world. No, you know, it's out of our pain. I think that we find ourselves there. And what I can tell you is that Satan will keep you there as long as you allow him to keep you there. And so I stayed in this world of sexual abuse for almost over six years and never told anyone about what was happening on a regular basis. I kept going to church. I kept singing. I kept pretending. So that's what happens when we, you know, we keep secrets. We're actually pretending that everything's all right. So all of those years, nobody knew anything about this. And I would pray every day for God to help me, deliver me. I, I don't know what I thought. I just thought that God would somehow make it all go away still. Like somehow he will, I don't know, do something, right? But I know you've heard my prayer every time I prayed and heard my cries and he, was listening. And after six over six years, I was compelled by Holy Spirit within me. I know Holy Spirit never left me, but wow, I sure felt like he was gone. But looking back, I know he was with me. And I just felt compelled by Holy Spirit to go tell my husband about my secret. So I got up off my knees and wiped my tears and 
because God just simply said, stop crying and go tell. And so my message really has become that. Stop crying and go tell. Get up off your knees and go tell. Stop keeping a secret. Break the shackles by telling. So it's really about James 5.16. It's a perfect verse for that. It simply says, confess your faults one to another, like I'm telling you right now, one to another. We always know God is there. Jesus is listening. Holy Spirit's within us. The Bible is full of the importance of connection and how people are freed by sharing their stories, their struggles, yeah. their pains. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another, your struggles, your sin. What is it that's going on in your life that you want to keep it a secret? Tell someone, pray, and then you'll be healed. Simple verse, powerful verse. There's a little bit more to the verse after that, the effectual, whatever. But that's the line that just totally has become my story. And that's what I love to share with people. And the, the morning I went to tell my husband was the hardest thing I did in my entire life up to that point. Because I thought I could do all of this by myself. I thought I was being spiritual by being silent. Nothing further from the truth. We have to set ourselves free, as it says in Proverbs 6, 5. Set yourself free, like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Setting ourselves free for relational freedom with our friends, our husband, our, yeah. is, is actually something that we have to do. It, you know, we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb has sealed us. We're good spiritually, but relationally. For me, it meant bring all of my deeds into the light, and then I will have fellowship, and then I will be cleansed. And that, that was my journey. And as I told my husband, that began the journey then of bringing him into my pain, which almost killed me. I gave him this very hard, it was a two-sentence confession. I mean, I weighed 90 pounds. My stomach was in knots for seven years. My heart was I racing all the time. I had headaches. I was falling apart from the inside out. So you cannot give what you don't have. I was completely, completely depleted. I didn't like who I was. I was, I knew, I believed I was unforgivable, unlovable, and I was certainly unchangeable. So I go to my husband in this condition and uh, I gave him a two sentence confession. And I just said my end of the end of my confession was, I'm sorry. And I'm a sorry person. And I walked away. I never touched him. I didn't let him give me a hug. I didn't let him respond because the look in his face was on his, just coming from his eyes was a look I'd never seen before. And so I walked away. He came home hours later and said, we need to talk. Well, <laughs> I just, you know, when you, when you let someone in, when you tell your secret, it, it's just kind of like, that's enough, right? I did it. And uh, so he came home and wanted to talk. So we stood in our little kitchen in Troop, Texas. And he said, you know, I know you haven't been happy, but I want you to be happy. But I want you to promise me one thing. Don't leave a note on the dresser in the middle of the night. If you want to go away, if you feel like you have to leave me for your happiness, then just tell me and I'll help you. We'll do it together. I help you pack your bags and we'll find you a place I don't want you to go, but if you need to, I'll help you. We'll plan it together, and you have to take the girls with you. And that guy they, was the little liquor of hope that started to just stir in my belly, and it took my breath away. He believed in me. After all of that, and we hadn't even talked. I hadn't given him any more information. But during the day after I had been there, he'd just gotten on his knees and just cried out to the Lord and said, what should I do? And he called a counselor. And the counselor encouraged him. He said, if you want to save your marriage, there's one thing that may save your marriage. And that he said, if you can love your wife as Jesus loves you, not the church, but as he loves you, there may be hope for your marriage. And Jonas will tell you the story. And he said, how can I love? How do I do that? And the very wise counselor said, I can't tell you. God will show you how to do that. And so he would tell you today, it is very feeble, broken attempt. He decided that he's going to love me as Jesus loves him. And he you said, guys have been together all these years. Yes, we've been, we're married 55 years now. Mm -hmm. At that time, we were married at 12 years, 15 years, maybe. What an extraordinary yeah. act so, of courage. 
Here we are. So I have to tell you all of that, though. I, I know that's a long part of my story, and I thought I was going to keep it short. It's so beautiful, and it's the kind of story that is such a blessing. So what a gift that you told it. So how, from this, did yes. you wind up having this idea to start this <laughs> This little pretzel company that took uh, over the world. I know. It doesn't make any sense to anyone, but let me tell you, it's clear as a bell to me. I just, as I tell the story, it, it's all very, I remember all the details to it and how God just, from that moment, let me tell you, it was a hard, hard uphill. It was hard for me and for him as well to really stay together and to be together and learn how to communicate and learn how to be a husband or wife. And it was a lot of hard work. But out of that, Jonas, he was a mechanic, and since he's a little Amish boy, he loved to make things and put things together and fix things and figure it out. So he really has that kind of a, a mind. And so he, he could not understand, how could this happen to us? Like, what happened, right? So he began to study psychology out of Emerge Ministries in out of Akron, Ohio. And he did a back-in-the-day correspondence and became a pastoral uh, layman's counselor. So as he was learning about counseling, then he would tell me and we would apply some of the principles that we learned. And it became a journey of healing for us together. We had gone for counseling about four or five sessions initially, and but that was it. And from that point on, he began to learn and study and, and we applied that. So there came a point in time he wanted to do marriage counseling for other couples to help them because we we're just so now we realize that, wow, you know, what Satan meant for evil, you know, God's actually making something really good here. And this means that we can, now we know, now we understand people in pain. Now we know what trauma is. We know what tragedy is. Now we can speak into that. And so he wanted to do marriage counseling as a free service. And he started to do that in our community. And well, you know, when you do anything free, you got all kinds of customers, right? But there's no money in the bank. And, but he was so passionate and sincerely wanted to help other couples. And through the years, so initially, he was doing that for one month, and we were not making any money. And that's when I went to work. I said, you know what, hun? I've never, I've always been a traditional stay-at-home mom, and I never had a, a job as far as a career job. I mean, I've worked at maybe cleaning houses or a few little things to make a little bit of money. But I said to him, you know, I think I want to have to go to work so we can pay the bills. Okay. And he said, well, I mean, okay, sure. Yeah, somebody needs to make money. I don't know. It was very weird because we were a very traditional family at that time. So I went to work and I started making pretzels and uh, Auntie Anne's was created. I bought a farmer's market store that was selling pretzels. So I just took a store, a store that was already existing, and I just took their products and did what they were doing. And there was uh, pizza, pretzels, ice cream, and sodas. That's what we sold. And lemonade. I didn't know anything about business. I was scared to death about owning. We, we had to borrow $6,000 because we had no money. When I say we had no money, we had no money in saving. We had no checking account. We had no savings account. But this was in Ohio or in Texas? This was in, we moved back from Texas. We, we moved back to Pennsylvania. So when we came back in 1987, we had no money. And you Which bought a $6,000 little farm stand. So, so we borrowed started, the money. Yeah, we borrowed the money from What made you want to buy that shop? You could have done a million Somebody, things. Somebody called me and said the shop was available. And I was like, I just, I don't know. It was just a God thing. I mean, God okay. just totally, you know, I often tell the story and I say that God redeemed us in every way. And that's the beauty of God's grace and his redemption is when he begins to redeem as you keep making, doing the hard work and making the choices to move forward. His redemption is full. And financially, we were in our 40s. And uh, I was 40 when I started Auntie Anne. Yeah, it was a little farm shop. And how did you turn it into Auntie Anne's? Well, so they were selling pretzels there. And I knew nothing about pretzels. So it's not like I grew up making pretzels. So there was a pretzel recipe there. And I knew when I was starting to make the pretzels that were already there, that they weren't very good. And I was a baker uh, from the time I was a little girl in our home. There was eight of us kids and I became the baker and the cook and I was mom's helper in the kitchen. So I always knew when something was really good. And uh, so I'm, I'm here and I'm making these pretzels and they're really, really bad. They're terrible. So Jonas would go with me on a Friday. It was only a two-day market, Friday and Saturday. So he would go with me sometimes. And we were maybe six, eight weeks into it one Friday morning. And I said to him, "Hun, 
I'm going to take the pretzels off the menu because they're horrible. And he said, I know they are. I don't know what we're going to do. And he said, but listen, before you take it off the menu, why don't you let me go to the store? And I'm thinking about something that might work in this mix. I'm like, well, whatever. I was very frustrated because I was going to just, I'm done. And so he goes to the store and bought some ingredients. We added added to our existing uh, recipe that we had. And voila, Auntie Anne's was born. The pretzel itself. We had no idea how how the customers would respond because we weren't selling very many pretzels. So it wasn't kind of, it wasn't like I'm planning to make a really tasty pretzel and we're going to go around the world with Auntie Anne. And that was the furthest thing from my mind. What I wanted was a product that I could be proud of right? and that I could serve and people would say, oh, wow, this is really good. And so when that happens, we mix what he brought and we started making pretzel, put them in the oven. And as they were baking, we like smelled them. We kept opening the oven door like, wow. And so Auntie Anne's pretzels came out fresh and hot and golden brown. We tipped them in butter. And he and I stood there and ate the first pretzel together. We broke bread together and we're looking at each other. We're like, wow. This is unlike any soft pretzel that I've ever had. So anyway, that's how it started. So and then, so lines started well, to form around the block or what Immediately, happened? immediately. We could not sell our pretzels fast. We couldn't bake them fast enough. We would have people come from all over the county to come and buy these soft pretzels. And then we did the second store. So that was in February, February the 2nd. And the second store, again, was at a farmer's market. I wasn't looking for another store. I'm just like happy. We're actually have money in the bank now, right? We're, we're making money. 55 cents a pretzel. Can you imagine? Don't be bitter about that because now you're paying $5 and 50 cents or whatever. Uh, three, four dollar fifty. And we were making more money selling pretzels than we ever had in our entire lives. So we would sell anywhere from 4,000 pretzels in one day. Anyway, so it just became this crazy people that heard about it and our families and our friends and our neighbors and the community and the surrounding towns. And, and in July of that year, I got a call from somebody again saying, you know, hey, your presses are really good. Why don't you go to this other market in Harrisburg? And I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm happy with what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. And this kid, just a young girl, she was just maybe 16. She would come to me for about three weekends at the farmer's market. She wouldn't give up. Finally, so I said, well, okay. All right. Well, hey, we'll make a trip up to Harrisburg and we'll see. So we bought our second location and uh, the next year we did 12 locations. I mean, there's so much that I'm not telling you, but I'm just giving you the bare parts of our story. And how many locations did it eventually grow to? We sold our company in 2005 and we had about 900 locations. <laughs> and so, so we did two and then 12 and then 35 and then 50 and then 60. So every year we did 50 to 60 stores until for about 18 years. I just can't wrap my head around. And, and so, so this though, that's why if you get so attached to the world and the ways of the world, you know, the world has this great idea about how to do business, right? And I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I mean, really, I'm not, but for us, that was not the case. My point is God is bigger than any of the world's ideas or thoughts or plans because he has a plan for you. And he created you with a purpose, every single one of us. And so my encouragement is to people, women, men as well, in dark places and despairing, and you have no hope. Let me tell you, there is hope. I had no hope. I didn't. And and then when I finally told my secret, I was just over time thrilled that I'm still with Jonas. And at times I wondered, are we going to make it? Are we going to actually... And then God comes along and heals our hearts and our marriage. And soon after that, 1982 to 87, about five years later, we found ourselves at a little farmer's market. You know, we underestimate God's plan for us is really he died for us so that we could have life and not just like barely make it through life. He came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. It's such an incredible story. And and the biggest thing is to me not even, you know, the abundance that was brought, oh, but the no. courage that you had in those really dark moments yeah, to yeah. find your way to the next moment. That is the most abundant part of it, right? That's the most expansive blessing in You're all right. of it is that You're you right. had some, some connection that allowed you to sustain even in a time where 
you had no real reason to hold on. And I'm curious because I want to unpack this. I have a few questions, which is, first of all, let's just look at the business for a second, right? And what a, what a journey that's been. If you were speaking to another woman who's an entrepreneur, what would you want her to know that helped you figure it out in the way that you did as you just we're sort of learning as you went. What is one of the things, because there's probably a thousand, but what is one of the things that you learned <laughs> you'd want someone starting out to know about how to build something, even an ounce as successful as this has been? Well, I think that most of us carry baggage. We yes. carry these things that weigh us down. So in short, the answer to that is I would encourage anyone that may be listening or someone, anytime I speak to someone, you know, we're satisfied with surviving. You know, I got through that and I clearly remember feeling, wow, I survived. <laughs> I'm still in my marriage with my husband. I, I'm a mom to two beautiful girls and I can't even believe but I survived and we settle in there. But I want to encourage everyone that's listening. Survival is not overcoming. Survival is kind of like existing. How do I know that? Because I I lived there for a very, very long time. So I would encourage you to, what kind of life do you want to live? What does overcoming look like to you? And I would encourage you to unload your baggage, unload the things that hold you down. What is it that you don't like about yourself? You know, and for a long time, I felt like if I don't like that about my whole camp, just tough with that. No, overcoming is actually hard work. It's easier just to stay where you are and just push through all this stuff and and just keep moving. If you really want to, if you're interested in being an entrepreneur, or maybe you are an entrepreneur, you own a company, or you're longing to like finding my purpose and whatever that may be, then I think the internal work of our heart is the most important place to start. Yeah. And as I started Hands Hands, I'm still carrying a lot of the guilt and the shame of my abuse into because I hadn't it wasn't all gone but I just I think one of the most important pieces of advice is you don't wait to do anything until you're completely well don't sit around wait okay well once I'm you know once I have it all together then I'll start no no the reason I wrote my book overcome and lead it means that you start something with your you know imperfections and all for me I started I had a product I had a pretzel and the other thing I had was I loved people yeah. And the other thing I had was I become very compassionate because of my own life's experience about people. You know, it is a formula and there's so many pieces of this, but I can tell you right now, I would not be here today if I would not have divulged my secret. And if I wouldn't have made those daily choices to become the very best that I could be, because what was my goal? My goal was to please God. My goal was to serve him. My goal was to make a difference. My goal was to be open, honest, and transparent. My goal was to be a leader that could be trusted, to be a good example. And the the stakes were high for me. I mean, I set my goals so high because I knew inside of me, my belly was like jelly sometimes. Yeah, It was just so very difficult. But you got to push through that hard stuff and keep making hard choices. Make the right choice. People have asked me already, how do you know what's right? I said, hey, if you don't know what's right, then do the hard thing. That's most always the right thing. So you can keep making good choices. I want to ask you another thing which you alluded to, and I, I see this with women all the time, and I see there's this confusion around if I want to be a good person, I feel guilt in being abundant. <laughs> and you said something so beautiful that the reason we're here is, is is not just to get by and survive, but to thrive. But a lot of times people confuse what's expected of them in being a good person. Mm -hmm. And there's this feeling of shame in allowing themselves to expand how much they can receive and to just keep enjoying feels like a shameful thing. Mm -hmm. So especially coming from the background you did, I think you're a great candidate to speak to that especially for women. What is your thought on on that and how to maybe set them free from that guilt of thriving? Of success, you mean? Like, it's like money too. Success. Money feels like yeah. if I have lots of money, I must not be in good standing because, oh, you know, 
money's the root of all evil. And, you know, if I'm really no. wanting to serve God, no. I should be poor. No, no, well, that's not, you, I hate to tell you this, but you didn't quote that just exactly right. The love of money is the root of all evil. But Keep that's, th- that's so true. The love of money is the root of all evil. And the older I get and the more money I've seen and the way people manage money, it truly is. I love that you just corrected that. It is I don't even root. know what the quote is, but, but that makes a big distinction, doesn't it? It, it surely does. The root. <laughs> one is like a resource and one is being exactly. you know, idol worship. Absolutely. Thank you. That's right. So, you know, I feel like for me, our experience was because we had a purpose to begin with. You know, if you find your purpose and you find yourself being successful, what is success? It doesn't mean you've got to go around the world. Success has different levels. Wherever, whatever success you find yourself in. For us, we knew that God created Aunt Anne's to give, literally financially give. And we had to stay on that track of, we had to keep telling each other, my husband and I, our purpose for Aunt Anne's, God's purpose for Aunt Anne's was to be profitable so that we could be charitable. Yeah. Number two, Antiens was created to be light in the world of business, in corporate America, to mm-hmm. be light. So we knew what our purpose was. And let me tell you, when you know what your purpose is, you're not going to have a problem making money, enjoying money, giving it away, just doing what God wants you to do with your money. And early on, I, I didn't know anything about business. There's three things I didn't have. I had no formal education. I had no capital. I had no business plans. I knew nothing, seriously. But I knew early on that I wanted to serve God. I wanted to please him and I wanted to give. And he gave me a verse and I would walk into my office often in tears like, Lord, I don't know. Who am I supposed to be today? But I had great people around me. We, we began to hire people right almost immediately. And our company crew from just Jonas and I to and then maybe 10 employees very quickly, and then 25, and then 15. So I was constantly growing in this. But God was faithful to me early on. I think we had maybe about 50 stores, and I was just in it over my head, obviously, every single day. But I had to stay in tune with Him, and that is the missing piece. We forget Him. We get so busy. I understand that. I've been there. But He gave me a verse in Psalm. 32 verse 8. He said, Anne, I'll instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye. Let me tell you something. I took that to the bank. I believed what he said. I had a friend of mine who was an artist draw a picture like 32 by 50 or something like that. I put it right behind my desk. And this picture was Jesus and I sitting at my desk. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. He's instructing me. Every time I walked in my office, I saw this and it reminded me, oh, that's right. An all wise knowing God, he knows everything. All I need to do is tap into who he is and he'll keep teaching me. Now he taught me many things through people who were experts in the industry. Okay. We brought people in that knew more than we did. Don't be afraid of that. Ask questions. Admit your weaknesses. You know, stop pretending. It's so obnoxious because pretending means I'm really not who you think I am. You know, I'm really not all that great. You don't really know me. So I have to pretend to be somebody I'm not. So I would encourage you, who are you? Who are you? And that was my journey because I had lost who I was. I didn't even know who I was anymore. But I began to do the internal work of the heart so that my external life would be the same as my internal life was. It's so powerful. I mean, what you just said, if people are willing to listen, change their lives completely. I uh, I posted a little reel on Instagram the other day and it said, every morning you need one meeting and you need to invite one person to the meeting and it's God. Amen. And you <laughs> see a meeting with God every morning and you say, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? And then you have the whole day. He'll download that to you. I yeah, and if you if you don't have that meeting, you'll lose the day, right? Because Amen. as long as we are, as you said, working with that as the compass, absolutely, is all blessing. And it's such a powerful distinction that you corrected. It's the love of money for its own sake. 
mm-hmm. that is biggest distraction. And if you instead see money the same way you were sharing to see it, it becomes something you become a custodian of this resource. Absolutely. You, you get to give, but also what you also shared in this story is your worthiness to thrive as well. Yes. Amen. That, that in the giving, which is such, it's, it's clear as a day that we're here to serve. Yes. But also the inherent shame you had to overcome that you didn't, you had gone to such an extreme in that, that the other piece of this was allowing yourself. Yes. When your husband was willing to love you the way that God can love you, you learn to love yourself in that way. And those two pieces, and I think this is what's, this is like a masterclass on money, honestly, because if money is really used the way it's supposed to be, it's to give, but also to receive from the place of worthiness. And then what is it to be worthy? You're the daughter of the king. Amen. So it's like, but you went to such for all the things that you had gone through, like such pain. Of course, you wound up in a place where you felt so undeserving. And because it was so extreme, and then the love of your husband and your walk back home to the to the divine connection was so extreme as a result of that. Absolutely. It makes so much sense. Like, of course, with the actual feeling of worthiness, mm-hmm. and then with the actual clarity on giving, that balance oh. is why this business grew to hundreds and hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Amen. There was a an opening, you know, and that's, I think you just nailed it. I mean, it's like the women I meet, it's those two pieces. They are afraid to love money because they think it's loving money for its own sake. And there's a part of that that's correct. And they don't feel worthy. They don't know that they're loved for no reason. No. So, so let me just interject here. So if you, if you're worried about loving money, if that's a stomach pop, then give it away. Start giving it away. No, I don't, I'm not being sarcastic because that's the whole point of owning a business is to that's make true. it Hiring people, helping them, putting it, it back is, in the market. Yeah. Paying taxes. All of it winds up getting all of it put back in. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where you make your greatest impact. And as you make your greatest impact and as you give back to your family, your employees, let me tell you, uh, we were called to give money to missions and all around the world. But part of that mission, guess what? It was giving money back to our employees. Sure. And we did that with great joy, bonuses and parties and picnics and birthdays and all of these things we did for our employees because they were the ones that so made anti-ins happen. Beautiful. And so if you know what your purpose is and you start to give, if you're worried about the money you're making, oh my, you know, just give it away. Start and give till it hurts. That's what we did. Give till it hurts. And soon you'll realize that God honors that. Give and it shall be given to you. We didn't give to get back. We gave because we love the high, the joy, the fun part of making money is actually to give it to yeah. other people. And in the meantime, God blessed us. You know, I, oh, there's so much packed in here that I can't even go in down that path. But I, I there feel at my time because of my guilt and my shame still felt unworthy. And in 1995, so we started the company in 1988. And in 1995, I almost sabotaged. Mm-hmm. the goodness and the blessing and the gifts and the money mm-hmm. that God was pouring into her life. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you that story, but it is in my book, The Secret Lies Within. I told that story there. It's unbelievable. So you are worthy, you know, and the compassion of God. He didn't wait till I was like unloaded completely from my guilt and my shame. He loved me because I fell on my knees. I needed him. And when you're pretending to be somebody you're not, you will not fully lean on him right. because you're even pretending in front of God. But once you understand God's love and grace, you can move forward in your brokenness and you can move forward with That's a true. few bags hanging on. But he will eventually, I'm living in a place today I didn't even know I could live. Yeah, It's called the overcoming life. I don't carry the bags anymore. I don't carry the shame. I don't carry the guilt. Why? Because I worked really hard and I believe what Jesus said. I have come that you might have life. Okay. How am I going to have this abundant life? It's by making good choices, living God's way, allowing him to just come in and permeate my, my being. And the, the greatest gift of all, and this is where I'm at living right now 
is his presence wants to fully engulf your body. So make room, make room for his presence in the place of guilt and shame. You got to get rid of that. You just got to, you know, let that go. Let God take it because he already did take it, but give it to him. Make room in your body to carry his presence. And let me tell you, in my opinion, that is the ultimate experience with Christ. I mean, thank you for taking us all on this journey because it's so soul nourishing. And I can see so much of how it all, one lily pad leads to the next. And it's such a blessing that you answered the call and that you continue to because as much as you've already contributed, your sharing of this story, it's priceless. The word that you're pouring over people in this story, in the truth called your life, the sharing of that is such a gift. So I just feel so blessed that I got to sit here and be in it today. Thank you. Tell everybody where they can follow you or buy your books or be a part of whatever you're sharing next. Just go to annbyler.com and you can see all of my books. I've gone over, come and lead the secret lies within. I just launched a cookbook called Come to the Table, wrote a book called Twist of Faith. And then we have a little storybook on there as well. So just go there and follow me on, on my Facebook and Instagram and but the books can be bought in our store on my website if you're interested in that. So I'm just like, I'm so deeply touched by everything I just received. I'm just really grateful. Thank you. I'm so grateful. God bless you. Thank, Thank you for you being so much. here. I appreciate the invite to be on your show and bless you and what you're doing. Let's spread the word. Set yourself free. Let's become women of God who can just Amen. Be a voice and be a help to all the people, the women in the world. Yes. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Wow. That conversation literally left me just speechless. Here are the takeaways. Number one, the choice you make today is the life that you will live tomorrow. Every choice that we make creates our tomorrow. Number two, stop keeping a secret. Get up off your knees and go tell. When you unload your baggage, you break the shackles and you start to heal. There is hope. Number three, the internal work of our heart is the most important place to begin. Number four, don't sit around and wait. Start something with your imperfections and all. Number five, make those daily choices to become the best version of you. Number six, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Number seven, when you know what your purpose is, you're not going to have a problem making money, enjoying money, and giving it away. Number eight, stop pretending. Be the real person you were made to be. That is the best gift you can give to your family, to your friends, and to the world. And number nine, you are so worthy. All right, now I want to celebrate some of our amazing alumni from my podcast course. Shout outs to Kara Sue Sweeney and her show, The Work on Purpose Podcast, and to Debbie Westwell and her podcast, Following the Joy, Millie Fox and her Energy of the Untamed Heart Podcast, and Rebecca Schlosser's podcast, Bloom with a Boom, Wisdom from My Prickly Path. I'm just so proud of these women. They're doing such beautiful work in the world and they're following their heart and they're creating these incredible intimate conversations and beautiful communities. We'll put links to these podcasts in our show notes so you could listen and go support them. And I just want to say thank you for being here. I know that there's so much that you could be doing today. There's always so much on our plates and it means so much that you carve out the time to be here. We have so many beautiful episodes coming up, so please follow along on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you feel like this has been valuable, leave us a review and share the show with one person. Think about one person who could use the message that Anne shared today and share the show with them. Also, if you want my free cheat sheet, because you might want to start a podcast, you can go to kathyheller.com slash checklist and grab that checklist. I love you. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you next week. But now I'm back in here to fight
Like a soldier.